0: Welcome to Dispel Magic, the podcast where we overthink how the magic of D&D might shape your campaign in surprising and unexpected ways. I'm Benjamin, game designer and writer. You can find me online at SterlingVermin.com.
1: And I'm Benjamin, game designer and writer. You can find me online at Twitter and on the internet. Sterling Vermin uh, is me, Benjamin. What are you doing? The writer.
0: What? No, that's not... Huh? What?
1: No. I'm Benjamin. No, I'm Benjamin Huffman. No. The writer of the Pugilist class? And my name is also Dane, and I'm a Dungeon Master podcaster and a little stinker. And you can find me online at Dane in Danger.
0: Dane was uh, (laughs) mimicking me. We're doing the mimic today! Classic! Classic! Yep, we're going to take a slight diversion from spells today to talk about this classic D&D monster, the Mimic. I love when we do monsters, but we don't kill them. We don't kill every monster. No, we don't kill every monster. We actually tend to find a place for monsters in society, and that's what we're doing today as well. Well,
1: Mimics are monstrosity creatures with the shape-changer subtype. They are medium. Their challenge rating is two, and they have the following notable traits. They have the shape changer trait where they can uh, polymorph into an object or back to its true amorphous form. Uh, Its statistics are the same in each form, and any equipment it is wearing or carrying isn't transformed. It reverts to its true form if it dies. It also has the adhesive property The mimic adheres to anything that touches it. A huge or smaller creature adhered to the mimic is also grappled by it. Escape DC, 13. Ability checks made to escape this grapple have disadvantage. They have false appearance. When a mimic remains motionless, it is indistinguishable from an ordinary object. And finally, it can grapple. It's a grappler. The mimic Cause it's got pseudopods. It wraps you up.
0: Yeah. Uh, that makes me want to go into a bit. Like I've got a pseudopod. Can you wrap me up? Like, from, Oh boy,
1: uh... let's not do that.
0: Okay. You can just cut that. Hey, Greg. Hey there, Greg.
1: <laughs> i got a pseudopod.
0: Can you wrap me up? Hey, Oh, Hey, come on. I, that's not a, that's not one of the celebrities I can polymorph into the usual role of a mimic the traditional role. Yes, we're talking about traditional values, traditional roles. What
1: a mimic is meant to be. What its what its purpose. Uh,
0: the usual. <laughs>
1: yeah. When the great guy what gags the, in the what sky. The gods,
0: what the gods intended when they created mimics were for them to be uh, look like treasure chests. So that the heroes think, oh, good, we're finally being rewarded for delving this dungeon. And then gotcha. And then they gotcha.
1: But watch out. Pseudopod. You got stuck. Yeah, you get stuck. I love mimics.
0: I love them. I do, too. Yeah, I do, too. There's another really dumb uh, monster called um, Wolf in Sheep's Clothing that I don't think is in 5e, but it's in uh, earlier editions of the game. And contrary to its name, it's not a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's like a stump with a rabbit on it. Mm-hmm. And then you get close to it and it's like a carnivorous like tree thing that's like grapples you with its roots and tries You've to. You've
1: thrown that at our party before. I, I, I
0: have because it's that so one. effing funny to picture like a rabbit that like no matter how close you get to it, the rabbit just doesn't move yeah. on this tree. Tr- like it. it's the most conspicuous mimic thing in the world. <laughs> It's just a
1: fluffy little bunny.
0: Like you would never just see a rabbit just sitting there, not being chill as you walked close to it. Not like a not like a mimic that you no, would see. No, not like a mimic. Right. Where like it, you would be suspicious if that treasure chest didn't just sit there as you approached it.
1: And mimics can be so many different things. I've heard of mimic walls, mimic doors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But also to fight them is kind of annoying, right? Because they get stuck to you. If you're not careful, you can really screw up a party if you got too many mimics all stuck to people.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's an it's an ambush, too. Um, and I think a lot of d d fights probably don't start as ambushes. And so and I think also the adventurers tend to, like, be cautious, be taking breaks often. And so if they go into a room, do a fight, and then there's treasure there, they're going to just try to get that treasure before they take their Rest or whatever their break. Traditionally speaking, the they get the treasure. The traditional role. We're very big on that. In this episode. In this in this episode where we focus on traditions.
1: Now you you have a a quote from the monster manual here that is pretty interesting. Um, if you permit me.
0: Yeah, go, please.
1: Mimics live and hunt alone, although they occasionally share their feeding grounds with other creatures. Although most mimics have only predatory intelligence, a rare few evolve greater cunning and the ability to carry on simple conversations in common or undercommon. Such mimics might allow safe passage through their domains or provide useful information in exchange for food. Now, this I've never heard of or encountered, a talking mimic.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, if you go back to older editions, talking mimics are... I think sometimes listed as like separate creatures, like mm-hmm. uh, like a more intelligent version of it. I can but see then that. they also get into like mimic colonies. So older editions have mimics that aren't so solitary as well. What this what this edition also doesn't get into is how mimics reproduce. Right, but if you kind of assume that anything that's not explicitly clarified, you can go back to older editions to find generally what to do. The older editions have mimics reproduce by splitting. So one mimic just becomes two, and I'm I'm there's a, like a lot of like kind of leaps of faith here happening. One is that that still would hold true in fifth edition, but then the other is that that splitting kind of functions like it would in the real world, where a new mimic is genetically identical to the existing mimic. It's a clone, yeah, yeah, which means they should be of similar levels of intelligence, and so once once you have those, it says a rare few evolve greater cunning and the ability to carry on simple conversations. Once you have one like that, when it starts splitting, you get more and more like that. It's actually intelligence. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. If you think about it, those are also more, more likely to be successful. So it sort of feels like that. If we, if evolution is a thing in DD worlds, we can see that the future of mimics would probably be in this more intelligent language speaking variant and then they evolve
1: society and realize their the supposed utility there's there's a whole well yeah i mean and down. even
0: yeah and so and even if you don't get to that even if you just get to like modern day uh or or kind of take take the description in the in the 5e manual as like a snapshot of where mimics are right now all it would take is one person enterprising enough to be in contact with one of these intelligent mimics and realizing that there'd be a lot of like application for them outside of being just monsters right to and and figuring out how they reproduce to to get them to like start splitting to create other intelligent mimics to essentially have this i, I wouldn't use the word domesticate because they're intelligent enough that right it's more like you're integrating them into
1: you're like developing them into a society. part of society. Yeah. Um, right. I do like, there's a bit of uh, homebrew lore about mimics, uh, reproducing as gold coins. Mm-hmm. So baby yes. mimics yeah. are gold coins and then they go into a bank and that's where they develop. Um, yeah. Love that idea. And then I, I had in a campaign, a, uh, tavern that my, characters didn't actually enter but it was a tamed mimic tavern so everything in the Mm. tavern was a mimic and the bartender had a trick for taming them so i think we found that trick i can i can do it for
0: realsies yeah now you don't now it doesn't have to just be oh i made this up you can say benjamin told me i did this right
1: benjamin said it was okay so that means it's okay everybody has to accept it
0: that's my point if mimics can reach this intelligence level without like an intentional education or a community, I think it, you know, I obviously, I don't know a lot about this particular subject, but it seems to me that if, if mimics kind of on their own can become this intelligent, intelligent enough to like speak a language and coordinate with other people, it makes sense to me that if they were partnered with one of those particularly ambitious uh, people that wants to, incorporate them into society that they could probably pretty rapidly be brought up to speed on more complex topics and social skills. The
1: adventurer's dream companion. I mean, it's the Swiss army knife of creatures. It can stick to anything it touches. It can turn into anything you need it to. It's got pseudopods, which we all know how useful those are. And, so if you have a mimic on your side, you've got an advantage on any other adventuring party. Huge advantage.
0: Huge. Traditionally, a huge traditional advantage. If we want to think through those advantages, let's jump back to the traits uh, that you read for us earlier, Dane, uh, and and basically those two those those traits boil down to a mimic can turn into objects, and a mimic can adhere to anything it touches. So question one is, how is adhering to things useful? Well, Benjamin, I'm glad you asked, because
1: now is the time of the program known as Dane's History of Adhesives. Insert fanfare music here. That's right, friends. Dane did some research. And let me tell you, it will not disappoint. Benjamin. How old do you think adhesives are in our world? Because if you were going to say. years old? Because if you were going to say 4,000 years old. You'd be. Wait, how does how does time work? Adhesives have been used since 4,000 BCE. Okay, so 6,000 years ago. 6,000 years ago. There you go. We've been using resins, putting things together, tree saps, that sort of thing. Typically adhesives are used for bettering tools. So if you have adhesives that keep an arrowhead on an arrow, that arrowhead's going to stay there longer, especially in integrated with twine and, and things like that. That's an advantage. You don't have to work so hard on making your weapons and tools. You can also use adhesives to laminate wood, which improves their durability. I looked up the adhesive education series on the Boss Tick website, um, which goes through a lot of these things and adhesives, a vital part of the industrial revolution and how cellulose nitrate was commonly used in billiard balls. So if pool wasn't around in the D&D world, now it is. Uh, wow.
0: This is good stuff. This,
1: this is the good stuff. I I hope
0: you have a lot more. No, that's about it. It's really good at,
2: uh,
1: making things more durable. And I guess my final point is adhesives could potentially lead to plastics, but that's more from the vulcanization of rubber than anything else. But if we could, if we could get mimics, to turn into plastic, world breaking. Thank you.
0: So be sure to vote on um, Twitter about whether or not I ever let Dane do anything like that again. Um, My history corner's
1: coming back, baby. I'm gonna do research, I swear.
0: Well, the people will the people will speak on that. In terms of the question of how adhering th- to things is useful, uh, obviously, you know, Dane would say you could make bi- billiard balls. Uh, yeah. So that's one uh, Super way useful. in which that would be good. But nobles and law enforcement could place mimics that look like valuable ob- objects and locations that they believe are likely to be targeted by thieves. Since the mimic will stick to and then grapple any would-be thief, making it very difficult for that thief to get away and very easy for the noble or law enforcement to capture the thief. Pseudopods. <laughs> Pseudopots. <laughs> this is a a bit odd, but I, there's an there's an application for advertising, which is, I don't know if you've ever been to a Japan town or been to Japan itself. You, you might have seen like in some restaurant windows, they've got like plastic versions of the dishes that you can sure. order.
1: Yeah, the examples of things that are perishable.
0: I can imagine that you could use a mimic to replicate a luxury good that's designed to be interacted with by the public and then it literally sticks to you so the idea is as as a merchant you you make it like once the person's interacting with whatever this mimic is replicated as something you're going to trying to sell it's like literally hard for them to put down you're just keeping them engaged with it longer they're more likely to buy it because they can't put it down <laughs> i love
1: the I, feel of this thing oh but i can't oh well, I, you know i've gotten used to it in my
0: hand I mean, yeah. I mean, there's an extent to which maybe this relies too much on our own, like my own Western social socialization. But like, if I'm interacting with something, I might buy, and then I'm having difficulty putting it down, and maybe the merchant tries to talk to me about it. I'm going to just be like, yeah, just let me buy it, I guess. Then, like, I don't want to deal with the, I don't want to deal with the embarrassment of like having like gone this far in the process and not get it. So. Merchants
1: would use awkward social interactions to hard sell people into buying things.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. That sucks. (laughs) It does. It does suck.
2: For years, mimics have always had a bad rap. Just a bunch of gross toothy treasure chests looking for a free mail. But... That ain't the case no more. Today's Mimics are good-hearted, helpful folk who just want to lend a pseudopod. Here at Mike McMimics Mimic Co-op and Clinic, you can hire a Mimic for any task you might have. Whether it's your classic dungeon dive or just helping around the house. In a desert and lost your hat? Ask a Mimic. Spatula break right before the big pancake breakfast? Ask a Mimic need a crucial, irreplaceable piece of an ancient puzzle to reverse the ever-rising waters in a terrifying chamber of death? Ask a mimic. If you're not sure a mimic is right for you, try our week-long in-home trial, where you can hire a mimic as a blender, washing machine, or ceiling fan at no cost to you. Take it from me, Mike McMimic, not only the organization's founder, but also a member isn't that right, Mike's? Yeah, Mike. Shut I'm a Mike, too. Right on, I Mike. i be Greg. Mike McMimics Mimic Co-op and Clinic. Just ask a mimic. Just ask a mimic. Hey, cut it out, Greg.
1: I want to bring up a, a semantic point. The mimic adheres to anything that touches it. So if it touches something can it choose to stick to it or not and can it unstick
0: Yeah that's a great question uh it has I think it kind of has to be able to decide that cuz otherwise like once it sticks to the ground it's just like always there It has full control of its stickiness and it has a movement speed so it's supposed to be able to move around so it it must not like permanently stick to anything that touches it
1: Right so if the merchant in question has some way of telling its mimic to unstick.
0: Right, right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that goes back to like an anti-theft measure maybe where you mix in mimic versions of your goods with other goods as a kind of way of warning people not to try to steal because they might grab a, a mimic. Well, this kind of goes
1: into your next point about mimics can change into any size, apparently.
0: Yeah, so... The, there's no upper limit to the size of the object a uh, Mimic can turn into and I don't know why I put this under the bullet point how is adhering to things useful uh, because I don't know how this is useful but you could have a Mimic turn into a giant boulder and go full on Katamari Damacy uh, just like rolling over, like rolling through a dungeon and just picking up every single thing and person inside the dungeon and rolling around with them in terms of a
1: deterrent for thieves. If this mimic sticks to them and then turns into something giant, like a boulder, then the, the thief can't move. The boulder is keeping them there.
0: Yeah. So then the second question is how is turning into an object
1: useful? And not think of a single, can't think of a single thing.
0: No, that, that one I actually drew, drew a complete blank on. So, Important to important to clarify or to, well, clarify an unclear point is that uh, it's, I'm not totally sure if when a mimic takes an object form, if it just appears like the object or if it can actually function as that object. Like I, I'll give an example. So the, the trait says that it, it uses the mimic stat block still. But if the mimic turns into a hammer And wants to successfully disguise itself as a hammer, it's gonna be pretty obvious when someone hits a nail with it and the hammer starts bleeding instead of like pushing the nail. Instead of being a hammer. Not a hammer. So the question is does it function as a hammer when it turns into that? And that's, there's some amount of its utility that's based on that. 100%.
1: I mean, if you want it to turn into a, a ladder, and it can't support your weight because it is this creature and you smush it then it's not going to it's yeah. not a very good ladder.
0: Yeah, I almost feel like that gets into like well maybe sometimes it does because like if it if if the mimic the mimic can turn into any object no matter how large once it turns into a sufficiently large object at the very least like its weight should change and yeah. its ability to uh, its surface tension might change, or its ability to carry things might change. I, I well, I guess that's a function of it being a certain size, because that's how things work in D d Things are, that are bigger can carry more. Sure. Well, and this brings up
1: my question of mass being conserved. So, it, if it can turn into giant things, it's it's generating more mass in itself, but it's also like that mass is going away very quickly. So you could sneak a mimic in your pocket and then it could become a sword later. Just, you know, the the barest of things. Um, So there's that avenue you could go down. But like magic is real for sure. I get it. But messing with how heavy a thing is because it's so huge messes with the the fabric of reality in this world. And it, I, I can't wrap my head around it. What, what the, the implications of being able to control the amount of mass that this creature can control. That's
0: insane. Yeah, There's I mean, there's probably some also way of just of creating, I, I didn't really think about this, but one of our very, very, very first episodes, we talked about the infinite hell loop, which I guess go listen to all of our episodes. If you don't know what that means. In that episode, we also talked about a perpetual energy machine or a pe- perpetual motion device. And I feel like probably if Mimics can change into anything as an action, they could be used in a very similar way. Like, Interesting. Because yeah, you've got something growing so big, it's like pushing against its boundary. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like you might be able to do it. Well, and actually, if it can turn into anything, then it should be also be able to turn into, like once you have batteries. Which we have. Turn into a battery. Let's we're we're going to get to that actually in in a minute. So let me jump back and say, if if a mimic in tool form can be used as a tool, then mimics are going to be uh, everywhere, working kind of in tandem with artisans because your blacksmith might have might be capable of wondrous things, but imagine if his hammer were sentient. And could reconfigure itself in every you know to to whatever tool you need. Produce yeah. exactly the kind of hammer points or or however you would say that. I don't think it would be fair to say that in this case that Mimics would become like a cheaper alternative to tools. I, I think that's kind of on its face untrue because Mimics would be our people kind of in this context. But I do think you can imagine that mimics would create a kind of symbiotic relationship with artisans where they agree to serve as tools for the artisan in exchange for probably like a royalty split or whatever of sales um, to serve as their tools. And who and what artist or artisan wouldn't want a sentient tool that can change based on their needs per project. A hundred percent. And. You can take machinery
1: or whatever thing, wherever you need it. It, It's you're no longer tethered to your workshop or, or where all of your things are because your things are coming with you as smaller versions of those things. And then now you're on the top of a mountain and you can get some really wild stuff happening in places that it's very difficult to get.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, uh, easy to just kind of pack up all your tools when your tools can turn into like a coin and then you carry them all to wherever you're going to go and then do your work there.
1: Mimic tamer, new class. I mean, yeah, it would would let you do like
0: a lot of, it would let you do like a lot of kind of professions that normally rely on you staying in one place could be more itinerant uh, professions, like a traveling blacksmith.
1: We're putting all those uh, hedge mages out of business who are mending everything right get th- get them yeah. out of here move over for mimics mimic revolution
0: so. if if they can't be used as objects um there's still probably ways in which mimics being able to replicate the appearance of, of objects matters like it like to go back to the idea of a blacksmith you could have the blacksmith have the mimic turn into different kinds of armor as a way of showing what he can create Or um, what do they call it? A fashion designer could have like the mimic tape, different shapes of different kind of clothing uh, as a way of modeling, I guess. Testing out. Yeah. 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 Modeling things.
1: Or you have it become the thing on the person and then you can measure the mimic and make the thing so much easier. Yeah. You'd get wild fashions that fit people perfectly.
0: Yeah. I hadn't thought about this before, but that, especially combines well with fabricate mm-hmm. where as long as you've got the materials around, you know, you have the mimic turn into the thing and then you fabricate to look exactly like the mimic. And then you've got a permanent version of whatever that mimic was shaped like.
1: Now you pose a very interesting question. Mimics can turn it into objects, including spell components,
0: Right. If we want to drill down to one specific, uh, the spell Raise Dead and a lot of other spells that bring people back from the dead require diamonds. So a question would be, if the mimic transforms into a diamond, can you use that diamond to cast Raise Dead, for example? And then, since that spell consumes the diamond, what does that do to the mimic? Does the mimic die if you use it in that way? Or is it just... Is it reduced to zero hit points? Does it just turn back into its mimic form and no longer looks like a diamond?
1: Reusable diamond? I really don't think it would work like this. I, I think that it looks like a diamond, but it is a minute, a mimic, right? So it looks like an object. It turns into that object for the intents and purposes of looking like that thing, but actually
0: being that thing is a different story. Uh, so I, I'm inclined to agree with you, but I do base this um, kind of concept on the idea that the polymorph spell really does transform you into a beast. Oh, I, a beast, see, I see where you're going. Spell. And this trait is called polymorph. Well, it's called s- shape you,
1: changer, but it says
0: use, uses its oh, action use the word, to okay, polymorph. Use the word, yeah, yeah. And so, that's where I don't know. Yeah, you know, it, that's when you sticky reuse part, that yeah. same word in a few different contexts, but it's not like a word that means a specific thing. It's a word that means something only in the context. That's where, it, like, it's pretty tricky. So, so I, I don't think like the game designers or something were imagining that mimics would turn into consumable stuff. But I also think that's a pretty fun avenue for exploration. Although yeah. I don't think many mimics would consent to like trying that out, being destroyed, being destroyed to raise the dead or something. If we've got mimics that have
1: basic intelligence, can speak, even if you want to awaken a mimic to, at the very least, then we have mimic wizards. And mimic wizards would be curious. And I could completely see a mimic wizard saying, I want to try this out. Use me. Let's figure this out. Because wizards love experimenting on themselves. It's one of their major Achilles heels. Uh, So many hijinks from wizards doing crazy shit to themselves. And I think a wizard mimic would definitely do that <laughs> how many spell components can i turn into and what happens when i cast the spell
0: and there are plenty of spells that they could or spell components they could turn into that aren't consumed when casting to if they wanted to experiment totally. with that without
1: risking their lives too. So. instead of having a focus they are the components
0: that they need <laughs> moving on from whether or not mimics can be used as spell components I do want to say one thing we haven't talked about is that when when mimics can imitate objects, you know, if you think about something like mimicking a ship. Uh, is
2: a ship an object, it,
0: right? Is the shi- well, and not just is the ship an object, but does it function as a ship? Uh, I think it has to for it, for the mimic to successfully imitate a ship and then What's the difference if the ship functions as a ship? What's the difference between it, whether or not it's an object or a mimic? And mm-hmm. then, um, and then you've got a fun thing where if you've got a mimic who's tame, tame, willing to work with you, and can turn into all these things, it's a ship when you're on water, it's a wagon when you're on land. The most useful companion, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, and that's then a short step from there to think if the mimic can turn into any object, then mimics become more and more powerful the more advanced objects are in your world if you've got cars suddenly mimics can turn into cars if you've got spaceships suddenly mimics can be spaceships uh, or computers if they take enough damage so this
1: is interesting because if they get larger they their hit points don't change
0: correct Correct, because they continue to use their mimic statistics.
1: So, if you're using a mimic for a very specific purpose, you gotta watch out for That's whether true. or not they're gonna. It would gonna, be
0: very scary to go into space uh, on a mimic spaceship, and it's got like thirty hit points,
1: and it gets hit by one piece of space debris, and suddenly you're shit out, ass life. out, at your ass out. You're in the middle of the ocean, and just the like well. Jerry the Mimic, we miss you so much, mostly because also we're going to die. Your jokes were great, Jerry the Mimic, but galdang, now we have nothing. So I I feel like you're (laughs) kind of gambling there because the the restraints of a Mimic are not, the ship is a ship that can take so much damage. It is now susceptible.
0: Yeah, so that's a great point. I do think probably the most interesting use case around this is just the idea of a mimic as a computer because then what happens to the software that it writes on its own self it's getting weird well and part
1: of me wants to say with that like no a mimic can't be a computer there's too many parts but the classic example the traditional example of a mimic turning into a chest of treasure there are so many different parts to that that's a complicated apparatus it has gold in it for god's sakes so well and hinges and a lock
0: and, and that's what and i'm saying parts different parts,
1: materials yeah. so what's the difference between a gold-filled chest and a, in your example a computer or a crane can a mimic turn into a crane and aid in construction a jackhammer can it you know there's all there's all these things
0: so when we zoom out then and we look at the big picture of mimics and their role i think we've we've gone into the fact that once once there are intelligent mimics in the world enterprising people will f- want to ing- integrate them into society and that that shouldn't be too hard because you're going to find mimics more and more willing to do that um especially as they see more and more benefit to themselves like suddenly they don't have to hang out in dungeons they can be wherever they want to be. A little more stimulating, um, yeah. And they start taking on these roles as kind of like, I mean, essentially, yeah, they be- actually they almost kind of become their own science fiction tool. A hundred percent. Because it's like an it's like an Omni tool. It's like anything, any object you could want. It's almost like what's the um what's in Star Trek the the phaser? No, they say t- they talk to the computer. and quarter, like, Dane. I feel like you're messing with me because. Fabricator? Is that what they call it?
1: Yeah. That's what makes their food anyway.
0: Earl Grey, tea, hot, and then. Yeah, that's right. Fabricator, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is essentially that, although it's not, it probably isn't producing food, but it is producing like a wagon when you need it, a sword when you need it, a hammer when you need it, paint when you need it, all that kind of thing. Wait, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on.
1: That you just opened up an entirely new thing.
0: Paint? Paint brushes, I guess, is more although actually I guess paint is an object and yeah. That's what
1: I'm exactly what I'm saying. What? It can turn can it turn into paint? Can what happens when you paint with a mimic? Benjamin, I need to know the answer.
0: I bet there's uh, some avant-garde art that you can make with uh, mimic paint. Can mimics turn
1: into a pot of stew and then can you eat it?
0: No. What does does mimic stew taste like? So much of of this is gut, like (laughs) what makes sense and what doesn't. I feel like mimics don't turn into stew. If they can turn into paint and you can paint with a mimic, you can eat mimic stew. Listener. If you're going down the rabbit hole, that's actually a mimic.
2: <laughs> at least a please, sheep in wolf's clothing.
0: <laughs> please. A sheep in wolf's clothing. A wolf in sheep's clothing. What did I say? You said a sheep in wolf's clothing, like a sheep that's trying to look like a wolf. Keep saying what you're going to say. Okay. Please let us know about it. You can tweet at us at DispelMagicPod or email us at Dispel Magic Podcast. At gmail.com.
1: It's true. You can do those things.
0: Why don't you do the thanks for listening this time, Dave?
1: Thanks for listening. And from me, Benjamin Huffman, we'll see you after your next long rest. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dispel Magic. If this has inspired any ideas for your game, or you have another take on today's topic, please let us know on Twitter. At Dispel Magic Pod. You can find Benjamin at Sterling Vermin and Dane at Dane in Danger. Thank you to Slim Mittens for our cover art, produced by Benjamin Huffman, produced and edited by Dane Fox McGraw. That's what you should have done. You should have mimicked me
2: like that like that
0: gorsham dain <laughs>